welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Inner Community Peace and Justice Center, where we explore emerging justice work through story and relationship. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores. For our first episode of season four, I am super excited to share a recording from the Prophetic Communities Conference held at the University of San Francisco in early February. In the first part of the episode, you'll hear from Austin Ivory, Pope Francis's biographer, as he shares his thoughts on Catholic social teaching, organizing, and synodality. After his sharing, I had the opportunity to engage in conversation with him about his reflections and raise my own concerns with the Synod from an organizer's perspective. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Good morning. Buenos dias. My own boomtag. Bonjour. I'm just kidding. I'm only bilingual. That was that was fake. <laughs> but I'm so excited um, to be here with you all this morning. Uh, when this conference was like in the initial stages of being planned, um, I knew like it was something I wanted to be a part of. And you know, when you just have something that is someone's idea that turns into reality, it's something that I think really mirrors the generative and the creative energy of God. And so it's just so exciting. Um, to be here with you all today. Um, estoy muy emocionada de estar aquí con ustedes para los que hablen español decir unas palabras para que me puedan entender así. Soy filipina, por si se están preguntando. <laughs> Hablo español porque viví en Honduras. Um, pero es, es muy bonito estar aquí porque esta, esta conferencia fue simplemente una idea que empezó con unas personas que ya llegamos a este momento donde estamos aquí en comunidad. Y así es Dios, ¿verdad? Genera, crea, y aquí estamos todos juntos. Y es algo veo de poder participar y vivir este momento. Yo digo que cada momento es un momento histórico. I always say every moment is a historic moment because God is moving. And like, I like to sit in that and just think about that when I get overwhelmed. So, just breathe in, you know? Right. Well, I'm so excited for this morning because we are going to be hearing some remarks um, from Austin Ivory, who I will introduce briefly. But just to let you know how the format will be working, Dr. Austin Ivory will be giving remarks. He'll be giving his remarks for about half an hour. Um, and then after that, we'll, he and I will be having a conversation um, about the remarks and about just kind of what has been happening in the room. And we'll be talking about organizing and synodality. Um, so it's going to be a, a great conversation, I hope. Va a ser una buena conversación, espero. Um, and I hope that you all can just take time to kind of soak in the words that God is going to gift us this morning um, through what Austin delivers, um, but also through the energy and through the spirit of which we enter this community. Um, so without further ado, I'll be introducing Dr. Austin Dr. Austin Ivory is a British writer and journalist known for his two biographies of Pope Francis, The Great Reformer, Francis and the Making of a Radical Pope, and Wounded Shepherd, Pope Francis and his struggle to convert the Catholic Church. In 2020, he published a book with Pope Francis on his vision for the post-COVID world, Let Us Dream, The Path to a Better Future. How many of you have read Let Us Dream? I feel like... All right, look, we got some fans. Did you bring your book so he could sign them? He'll have a table. I'm just kidding. Don't ask him to sign it. <laughs> Don't worry, Austin. Oh, he can. He can. I put him on the spot. Now I feel bad. <laughs> 
He is currently a fellow in contemporary church history at the Jesuit-run Campion Hall, University of Oxford, where he runs a project to help deepen synodality in the church. He was on the national synthesis team for the Synod of England and Wales and part of the group in Frascati, Italy, last September that drew up the document for the continental stage being discussed at regional synod assemblies across the world. So without further ado, let us welcome Dr. Austin Ivory. Thank you so much. Good morning. Muy buenos dias. Uh, I know I have, I have a lot to say, and I know I must speak slowly. And also because I speak with these strange flattened vowels, I have to speak clearly. It's funny that this should be a podcast because that word has caused me problems this week. I was in LMU talking in the Jesuit community and uh, speaking to an elderly Jesuit about a really good British podcast. Podcast, uh, and he said, "What about a postcard? Postcard?" And I said, "No, no, no, podcast. A postcard?" And I said, "No, a podcast." He said, "Oh, a podcast. Okay." And then, and then I was in San Bernardino, where it was very, you know, Hispanic, and one of the young guys said, "Yeah, we wanna, we wanna record you for a, for a podcast." I say, ¿qué es un pacas? Es un mexicanismo. Pacas is always a podcast. So there we go, divided by a common language. Um, my friends, it's really good to be here. Thank you so much to the Jesuits for inviting me and Annie for the brain child of this project, uh, the mother, I should say, of this project, of this conference. Um, so good to be here. And among, among, among organizers who are passionate about Catholic social teaching, it's just wonderful for me, energizing. I've had a great week. Um, I'm going to talk to you, you know, we writers love the magic of three. Do you know about this, the magic of three? One is good, one is good. Two is nice, both and, but a little bit dualistic. But when you have three, it's this very generative, fruitful number. God likes three, obviously, Holy Trinity. Pope Francis, if you notice, always gives his homilies with uh, around three points. There is something wonderful about threeness. And there is a new threeness as part of the kairos the providential moment of this pontificate. And those three things are coming together in a rather beautiful confluence. And those three things are, of course, Catholic social teaching, community organizing, and synodality. And the new kid on the block, obviously, is synodality. But actually, there is a new thing in each of these three as a result of the Francis pontificate. And the best way, of course, of exploring that, as has already been mentioned, is led a stream. I noticed that some hands did not go up. <laughs> and that's okay. There are priests present that you can confess to and bookshops where you can make reparation. But these three things are coming together because of Francis. Yes, because of his deep reading of the discernment of these times. But because of the depth of that discernment, I'm convinced that this will outlast him. This confluence is for the next generation. It is part of the way that the church is changing for our times. And synodality is absolutely key to that. So I'm going to, as you can imagine, do this talk in three parts. The first is to explain the new thing I see in each of these as a result of Francis. And to consider the way that they map onto each other fruitfully. Second, I want to consider... so in more depth, some of those fruitful overlaps. And then thirdly, in a slightly challenging way, I want to talk about some of the tensions that I think also are there, which may call for changes or conversions. 
So first of all, the new confluence. So CST and organizing, and I must be very, very strict about the time, um, half an hour, so it's now, okay, good. Uh, CST and, and organizing, of course, have long been partners, as we've been hearing very beautifully at the start of this uh, conference. And Bishop Stowe has outlined very beautifully in that paper as a way of connecting faith to everyday life, formation of leaders, to help the church awaken the poor to their dignity and to give concrete form to that dignity in access to the goods of the earth, which God has intended for all, and not just, of course, for the rich and successful. So organizing is an exercise in solidarity, but also in, of subsidiarity. Never do for others what they can do for themselves. And in a larger sense, CST and organizing have been engaged in a shared mission, which I think you see particularly here in the US since the 1950s, to build the capacity of civil society faced with the ever-growing power of the market and the state. So the shrinking of civil society in a globalized marketplace with its cult of individual sovereignty, endless mobility, insecurity, fragmentation. This is part of the, what has caused the decline not just of religious organizations, but of institutions and organizations generally. Put simply, in a liquid society, it's much harder to belong. So organizing has for decades helped parishes develop politicalness the art or craft of politics, what Francis calls uh, politics with a capital P. Um, and he, Francis has been very clear from the beginning of the pontificate that this kind of politics, this artisanal politics, if you like, is what needs to be rehabilitated, invested in, uh, in the face of the catastrophic decline in civic participation in the politics uh, that affects us. So the idea, of course, of the gap between the world as it is and the world as it should be is, uh, has helped many in the church, including me, to avoid the traps of sentimental idealism or otherworldly cynicism, to grasp, that, to grasp what Jesus meant when he urged us to be innocent as doves but wise as serpents. And, of course, the gap between those two, uh, the source of great suffering and great anger but also of hope and vision, is at the heart of all good politics. So organizing, I don't need to tell you any of this, you're all convinced of this, has helped the church combat a central temptation of the church in the modern world, uh, which is what Ed Chambers calls the surrender to individualism that privatizes institutions that are called by their own sacred teachings to be a strong public presence. So afflicting the comfortable, afflicting the frozen people of God has been a major contribution of organizing to the life of the church. So we know all that. Um, and I think an also a very important point is that it is part of the what Francis would call the culture of encounter. It enables encounter. It facilitates relationship. Even when in an action we are personalizing and polarizing or blocking or disrupting, it is in order to create a relationship, not to end it. And once that relationship has been formed, it becomes then a source of collaboration. So what's new now? Catholic social teaching under Francis, first of all. The Pope has assumed this tradition. He's taken it for granted, its ethical categories and its values. But he's developed its focus above all in talking about the access to the three T's, land, labor, and lodging, in English. In, in English, tierra, trabajo. Uh, y tierra in Spanish, because those are, if you like, at the heart of the challenges that face the poor. 
So ecology and fraternity have emerged in this pontificate as two vital questions, not because they are important issues, which of course they are, but because they are actually at the origins of the deeper crisis our world faces, which is one of belonging. Because we no longer belong as we should to creation, to our creator, we have the climate crisis. Because we no longer belong as we should to each other, we have, if you like, a scandal of the lack of fraternity, most visible in the hundreds of thousands now languishing in refugee camps or dying in the seas and in the deserts of our borders. So the loss of the relationship with God, with creation and with each other are the cause of our isolation, anxiety and fear of the future. And it is what lies behind the decline in church going at the same time as we have a new populism which promises to protect Christian identity by scapegoating and rejecting the foreigner. So the pressures on our churches and our congregations are partly to do with the dominance of what Francis calls, or Guadini called, the technocratic paradigm. The development of a mentality shaped by technological advance, the idea that because we can, because we, can we should, the desire to control and to dominate, the rejection of limits, the rejection of the logic of gift and mercy and fraternity, which flow from a belonging to God, to creation, and to each other. And it is why this Pope, the, the three central teaching documents of this Pope, are concerned with restoring that belonging. Evangelii Gaudium, our relationship with God. Laudato Si, our relationship with the created world, including our fellow non-human creatures. And Fratelli Tutti, our relationship, of course, with each other. So what I want to suggest this morning is that the future of the church in many ways depends on its capacity to religare, which is from where we get the word religion, to renew the bonds of our belonging. From an ethic of respect and care that begins with our care of creation and is manifest in our care of the stranger. This is how we will evangelize the modern world. And this is not some corporate you know, how do we get people back into the pews strategy behind so much of so-called diocesan renewal initiatives? This is, this is, this is Jesus' strategy. We evangelize by how we live. I like this. <laughs> we evangelize by how we live and by what we value. In our commitment to creation and to strangers, people will come to recognize the gospel in our time. And it is impossible to imagine an evangelization of our world which does not involve a key witness in these two areas. Secondly, community organizing under Francis. The new element here, as you know, is the Pope's specific support for the first time ever by a Pope for this kind of political action which organizing represents. Manifest, of course, in his famous addresses to the popular movements uh, and his speech to an online conference which I helped to organize, which Nick mentioned last night in 2021, uh, but also with his meeting recently with IAF organizers in Rome, his encouragement could not be more explicit. And it's there in Letter Stream when he asks every diocese to have a relationship with what we ended up calling the people's movements. It was a problem to translate, by the way. We can get into that. In Letter Stream, he speaks of people's organization as a source of moral energy, as a reserve of civic passion, capable of revitalizing our democracy, and the Pope, by the way, thinks that democracy is in deep crisis, has been largely emptied out. 
it has lost its capacity, if you like, for creating those bonds which are necessary to bring about change. So for him, this is key. The vitality of these movements is key, is key. I'm so sorry. So he, uh, in 2014, he told the popular movements that it's impossible to imagine a future for society without the active participation of great majorities as protagonists, and such proactive participation overflows the logical procedures of democracy. This is about revitalization, putting the heart back into politics, reconnecting politics with the concerns and interests of the people. And then he went on to urge the new forms of participation that include popular movements and invigorate uh, governing structures with what he called that torrent of moral energy that springs from including the excluded in the building of a common destiny. When he speaks of politics in Let Us Dream, he talks of politicians, quote, who can open new ways for the people to organize and express itself, who serve the people. And he later speaks about the goal of organizing to enable networks of belonging and solidarity, always with the people, never for them, or not just for them, led, he says, by local agents, in which organizations act beyond boundaries of belief and ethnicity to achieve concrete goals for their communities. When this happens, he says, quote, we can say that our peoples have claimed back their soul. The third element, then, is synodality. If organizing is politics with and of the people rather than for the people, then synodality is a church with and of the people rather than for the people. It is reconnecting the church with the people, uh, rooting the church in the census fidelium, the instinct of faith of ordinary people. Francis's conviction is really very simple. He said, he said it like this to me last year. If the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of us in our baptism, and if we don't believe that, the door is there. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of us, then it makes sense that we should get together to hear each other to find out what the Spirit is saying to the church. That's synodality in a nutshell. But in a deeper sense, it amounts to a conversion of power and authority in the church, in which we move from the clerical, top-down, church teachers, faithful, listen model, to a mutual listening of people and pastors together in order to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And at the heart of this is the art or method of spiritual conversation, which, of course, the Jesuits have been teaching for many years. So the Synod on Synodality 2021 to 24 begins with the people, not a consultation of the people, but a gathering of the people, a listening to what the Spirit is saying to the people. And the experience has already been transformative because I've been part of this process, as you heard from Cecilia, drawing up the document for the continental stage. And it is deeply moving to see the impact that the experience of synodality has already had on people's own sense of their own belonging. People saying, I now realize I am, I am the church. I'm part of the church. The mission of the church is mine. This transformation of belongingness in the church is, I want to suggest, the key fruit of synodality, or one of the key fruits.
uh, and I think will be the key fruit of this process. So what now opens before us is, if you like, a new style. Actually, it's a very old style of being church. It's a recovery of what the church was in those first centuries. And it is particularly necessary and appropriate for our time because we are moving to a world in which faith is no longer transmitted through culture and law and institution, but through witness of the experience of the encounter with Christ, which can only be known by a deep listening. So a lot more, if you like, like the first centuries of the church. And if you want to know more about this, the wonderful Tomasz Halik, Czech thinker, uh, has just addressed the European Ecclesial Assembly in Prague. His opening remarks are just pure gold for this, but more later if you want. But the transformation of the church in our time, which is what's happening. We are in a change of era, as Francis likes to say, un cambio de época, a transition from one era to another. And the new era is what Halleck calls the afternoon of Christianity. But we're now at the moment in the, in the occluded midday, <laughs> where things are, are in crisis and changing. That transformation is beginning. And of course, it runs completely counter to a mentality of clericalism and corporatism and control, as well as a, a church strategy based on forging alliances of money and power, and an ideologically driven focus on one or two bioethical issues at the expense of the gospel. And some of you may know what I'm talking about here. So no one ever said that this conversion will be quick or easy, but it will happen. The synod is just beginning. Synodality is just beginning, but it is here to stay. And I think while people are focused on particular outcomes of the synod, it's better not to be focused on particular outcomes, but to be open to the new thing that is being born in the experience of synodality itself. Okay, part two, fruitful overlaps then between synodality, CST, and organizing. Well, it's good. We've already heard about some of them already. You know, Bishop Garcia of Monterrey asking Copa to help form leadership teams as Father Sean Carroll says in the letter of our booklet, organizing has something very important to offer synodality. We know that already. What implications does organizing have for synodality? Well, I think two. It helps parishes and dioceses to focus on the margins, to include the periphery, to go outside, because organizers tend to have those relationships which often institutions don't have. And the second great, I think, advantage, sorry, contribution is to help translate the fruits of synodal discernment into concrete action, without which synodality can remain truncated and risks degenerating into just fine words. Tomasz Halik actually said in, I think it was in an interview actually just now, but he said, you know, the synod on synodality, the sign of its fruit will be the church's self-transcendence. He said otherwise it would just be fine words. Self-transcendence being the expression that Francis uses of the good Samaritan in Fratelli Tutti, who's capable of self-transcendence in his response to the wounded man. The other two, the Levite and the priest, are incapable of self-transcendence. So this is key. Um, so... I think that um, as dioceses and parishes become synodally converted, and we need to be patient, it's going to take a long time, but as they learn this new style, I think it can help organizing to recover some of its own roots, and I think strengthen organizing. 
In the UK, organizers have already begun to note it. The parishes um, that are strong on synodality are among their strongest members. So this is a slower and more patient way of proceeding because it invites the whole parish to be involved in the processes of the discernment of the mission of the parish. But the fruit of it is that the whole parish comes to see that then the aims are, belong to the whole parish and therefore the organizing aims will also be of the whole parish. So that means more commitment, more engagement. But I think organizers will need to be reformed to some extent uh, because and need to accept that organizing is downstream from synodal processes. I think this is really important. Uh, if we do that, then I think synodality is a massive gift to organizing, and organizing is a massive gift uh, to, to, to synodality. So a new thing is being born here, and we need to be capable, we as organizers, <laughs> I'm not an organizer, but anyway, you <laughs> need, to, need to be capable of self-transcendence in this regard. And maybe that will be one of the great fruits of these uh, two days. But where I see the overlap of these three streams is inviting parishes into synodal processes that start with an honest looking and listening and attention to the breakup, the fragmentation. And that's why ecology and the migration question are so key because both of them directly affect our parishes. Even if they don't know that they do, they do. And they're key to evangelization. So I think there's a key link between a culture of synodality, which is in itself a conversion for the church, a new way of thinking, operating, and living, which is a, a transformation of the, of the way we relate to each other in the church, which is very similar to the way we are called to care for creation and care for the stranger. So I think there are some superb links here, which I think need to be developed theologically, but above all in the experience of synodality in our parishes. So these connections are what will allow us to read the signs of the times in a new way. Organizing can sometimes be, understandably, dismissive of the ecological challenge as what one might call a problem <laughs> rather than an issue. In other words, a problem incapable of being broken down into an issue. Um, but I think that's because we read too often ecology as concern with what is remote from us the farms out there, you know, the, the wilderness out there. We who live in urban environments, we're in a different space. But integral ecology is about the way we live and the environment, the oikos that we are surrounded by, the way we live and how we relate to each other. Chapter 4 of Laudato Si should be compulsory reading for anyone involved in parishes and organizing. Because in chapter four, we have a whole range of issues and concerns and questions. Uh, the loss of identity and tradition, the need to protect and enhance common areas and plazas where communities can form, the dignity of our housing, urban landscapes which increase or decrease our sense of belonging and of rootedness. All those kinds of questions are part of integral ecology, not to mention the obvious questions of instability and violence and overcrowding and so on. So in Let Us Dream, I think Francis, as well as Laudato Si, lays out very clearly this connection between an ecological conversion and a new belonging, a new way of being and living, which reconnects us to the source of our being. So organizing is very involved, of course, in migration. <laughs> We've been hearing about the recognizing 
the Stranger program, for example. I was very moved the other day in Los Angeles hearing from an organizer in Texas who told me about parish ID cards. The parishes give ID cards to, mig to undocumented migrants so that if they're stopped, they can say no. And apparently it's enough to prevent deportation. I found that deeply moving. Um, but I wonder how, many, how explicit a connection has been made between these programs, like Recognizing the Stranger, and what one might call the conversion of parishes, the conversion of the faithful, to understanding really what is involved in recognizing the stranger, you know, which is captured in, in chapter two of Fratelli Tutti. In other words, that actually how we receive the, the migrant, the stranger, is key to our capacity for refounding the bonds of belonging, which are key to our fraternity. Yeah. I've got a big article, by the way, on this in Commonweal next month. But anyway, I do, and in writing it, I became more and more convinced how vital this question is. It's not an issue, it's the very thing that is at the heart of the gospel at this time. Okay, so third part, the tensions and conversions in all of this. Well, first thing I want to say is that there is an obvious difference between the relational meeting, the one-to-one -one or the house meeting, and synodal meetings. And I think it's really important to respect their difference. The one thing I think we should not be saying in this, in this conference is, oh, we already do synodality because we do house meetings. No. A house meeting, a one-to-one -one meeting, however open they are, are still intended to produce a certain outcome. You know, find new leaders, get consensus for this action that we're planning. And, you know, if that outcome isn't achieved, then we feel like we failed, right? Whereas a synodal meeting has to be open, it has to be not about producing a particular outcome. Even though it might be focused, and it should be focused, we have to be open. So it's facilitated rather than directed, and it uses the method of spiritual conversation, which must start in silence and in prayer, involve everybody speaking, no discussion, no response, but deep listening, and then a further period of silence, because we're about listening to what's happening in our hearts in response. And I'm sure you'll all have more to say about this, but it seems to me that we have to respect the integrity of the spiritual conversation. That's what I mean about organizing being downstream of that. In, in Letters Dream, Francis notes how God acts in the simplicity of open hearts, in the patience of those who pause until they can see clearly. You have to give time to these processes. Um, and then he goes on to describe what I think is essentially organizing in a synodal church. Quote, discerning what is and what is not of God, we begin to see where and how to act. When we find, when we find where God's mercy is waiting to overflow, we can open the gates and work with all people of goodwill to bring about the necessary changes. And he then teaches very beautifully what is discernment of spirits, for more uh, see Brendan. But since so synodality is the discovery of God's will in the spiritual movements of our hearts, which must involve disciplined and focused processes of patient listening, which are not geared to certain outcomes. Now, in my own experience of organizing, which was brief, and I wasn't a very good organizer, so you can take this with... But I still found that parishes often felt used, instrumentalized. That, I think, is the main critique of organizing from the church, that they were constantly being asked to furnish you know, cannon fodder <laughs> for actions and campaigns. And I often had that feeling 
as an organizer myself, that I was constantly asking a small group of people to do more and more. Uh, and I think it's the main reason why people become disillusioned. It's a familiar burnout story. And I know that organizers are aware of this, and I know that it's all about building up the institution and so on. But I wonder, rereading Ed Chambers' Roots for Radicals, whether there isn't, in this sense, a design fault in organizing which reflects the age in which it appeared in the 1950s. Chambers says, notes how people in congregations are available to be mobilized. Part of the IAF's deal is to get them out of their pews and into their communities. Isn't this clericalist language? It's, if, you, if you could imagine a priest saying that about something else, you'd say that's clericalism. So it's to deny agency to the people themselves, isn't it? So this cuts right across synodality, which is an invitation to recognize that the people themselves are agents, subjects, vessels of the spirit. So the assumption of synodality is that the spirit has been poured out already on the baptized, and it's our, the exercise of synodality is to discover what the spirit is saying to us. So it's almost like the spirit is out there before us. Theologians talk about a prevenient grace. Have I got that right? Prevenient grace. In other words, it's out there before us. Francis loves to talk about this. You know, it, it, It's there sitting down even as you get on the train. <laughs> uh, it's there before us. The Spirit is already at work showing us the way, and it's our task to discover that. So I think if organizing and synodality is to work together really fruitfully, and I know that they will and they can, then organizing in a way needs to respect this process this agency. And here I think synodality can help to purify organizing's understanding of self-interest, which is normally understood as a member, organization, or individual's values or priorities. You know, what drives a person. And at a parish level, of course, we talk about, we heard it last night, a parish will, wants to get involved in organizing because CST is part of the values of that parish. And organizing puts CST into practice. But I think we have to see that in a synodal parish, it's not just the values of CST that form the self-interest, but the consensus flowing from a synodal discernment by the parish itself. Do you see that? So that it's about understanding that it's also about priorities. Among all the goods we believe in, what is the Spirit asking us here in this place to prioritize? So that's what I mean about synodal processes, where they are developed, being upstream of organizing. Down, organizing is downstream of that. But of course, organizing can help facilitate that. And to the extent that organizing respects and understands that, organizing can help a parish develop in precisely that way. So just a last point. I think uh, that, that this also has implications for some of the ways that organizing understands power. You know, leadership training, rightly teaches us not to be afraid of power, to see it as the capacity to act and to bring about change. Power, organize people, organize money, and so on. But I think the moral distinction that Chambers makes between power over and power with is not sufficient. See, relational power always includes the interests of others, great. But even power with, the agency is still us. And that means in practice, then, the organizers and the leaders they work with. So it's all too easy to get into that mentality of the parishes are there to serve 
the interests of the organization. It's a kind of slightly Pelagian idea. In Roots for Radicals, Chambers talks about natality, the power to bring forth new things. And he quotes Isaiah, see, I am doing a new thing. But then he talks about the action of the organization bringing about the changes entirely in terms of our action. So what I want to suggest is that synodality connects that quote from Isaiah with that phrase of Chambers. And that's really what we're called to do perhaps in these, in these days is to think about that connection. So what if our action is powerful because it is in service to what the Spirit is already doing? This is the prevenient grace, you know? It's a bit like a gardener saying, I'm growing tomatoes. Well, yeah, he is growing tomatoes, but <laughs> that's not the power that makes the tomato grow, is it? <laughs> so it's all about rooting ourselves in what is the true power, as it were, of the universe. And I want to suggest that if we're better able to do that, sorry, if organizers are better able to do that, then it's the difference between sailing into the wind, which is very hard work, we get there eventually, and sailing with the wind behind you, where things, it's still hard work, <laughs> but things open, progress happens. Francis has taught me that in every crisis, there is a grace on offer. He quotes the poet Holderlin, there where the crisis is, where the danger is, is the saving power. So perhaps what we need to rethink about what we mean by power in this case, that power with versus power over isn't quite enough. Maybe it's about power over, yes, but another kind of power, which is the power of service, Francis would say. And that service is always in the service of the Spirit of God, the true power of the universe, which is the power that heals, that brings life, that helps to bring about uh, justice. And then one final thought. I've said a final thought. This really is the final thought. Maybe evaluations can be not just about one word, how do we feel, but more like uh, spiritual conversation. So I hope I've opened up some avenues for reflection. There's one thing I'm sure of, which is that these three rivers, this confluence, will be here for many years to come, that it is vital, that it is life-giving, that it will nourish a new generation of Catholic social action, which will be a vital witness in our times. Thank you very much. Let's give another round of applause to Dr. Austin Ivory. Thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts. I think um, as someone who's been active in the Catholic Church for many years, probably not as many as some, not, not that y'all are older than me, but you know, <laughs> um, it, uh, it's refreshing, I think, to hear this conversation taking place because I know for myself on a personal level that tension has existed as an organizer and then, you know, the synod on synodality and trying to think about, don't I already do that? Like, I'm in parishes, I'm talking to people, I'm deeply listening. As you were speaking and you were talking a lot about synodality being a way that, um, you know, the values of a parish can flow and be... Um, kind of expressed and lived out and identified, um, a thought came to mind. Um, I've worked in many different settings here in the U.S., and something I've found is that a lot of parishes don't have an identity, right? It's, it depends a lot on, you know, if the pastor comes in or if maybe there's a religious order and they have charisms. Um, and we've heard a lot about young adults that church hop. I don't do that. 
Um, yes, I do. <laughs> but you know, there's like this, um, you try and get a feel for it and you don't really, you can't really feel anything a lot of times when you come in, you don't know what the direction of the parish is. And when you, when you mentioned that, I thought to myself, well, how does synodality work when, how would the values of a parish flow out of synodality if the parish has not yet identified what those are, they haven't even considered what those are, or they're just trying to not be in the red, or they're trying to dig themselves out of a hole, or not have their doors closed. Um, I wonder what your thoughts might that um, on that might be. Yeah, no, well, that's exactly right. I mean, Bishop Rojas, just now in the Diocese of San Bernardino, uh, introducing this workshop on the Synod, which I gave, said people ask me, what is the program for our diocese? This is it, he says. And that's what every parish priest should be saying. You know, what is, the, what is my vision? What is our vision for the parish? We have to find out, you know. Um, I said it recently in my parish on the parish council, uh, they were talking about bringing back the groups that existed before COVID. You know, how do we resurrect these groups? And I said, well, how do we know that the groups are remotely even relevant to where people are now? Why don't we ask people? Um, so we're going to have in Lent uh, a listening, a deep listening exercise specifically on people's hopes and dreams and vision for the parish and how the parish can help them uh, and so on. So I think it's from those processes that we have to start to begin to get a parish's sense of itself and where it wants to be. And I think an organizer can, can help in that because you know, maybe the agitation, the action on the, on the parish priest is, well, have you done a, a synodal discernment here in your parish? You know, what's your vision? What's your mission? You know? Uh, I think that could be helpful. But I, I agree, it's hard when synods, when uh, parishes haven't even begun to embrace synodality. And there are plenty of examples of those, you know, people who did online questionnaires and thought it was a synod. It's not. <laughs> oh, good, she told on her parish. Um, thank you for that. I think, you know, as organizers, when we're at parishes doing listening, I've found, like, a lot of the times... Um, you know, they're like, but what are you doing? Like, what are you listening for? And it's like, we just want to hear what's on the hearts of the people. And even that is like a concept that's kind of foreign <laughs> to some people. They're like, wait, you want to meet and just talk about what I care about? Like, why are you trying to get me to show up at something? It was what you were saying, right? And I wanted to touch on that as well. You mentioned um, your experience in organizing um, and seeing in parishes or even when you were an organizer, this idea of feeling used, Right, and I think I've heard feedback sometimes in congregations about that as well. Like we're, you're only connecting because you're trying to mobilize us for turnout at, at whatever. Um, but I think at the same time, um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that IAF wants to get people out of the pews, right, and into the communities. Um, and you know, Pope Francis talks a lot about like a church with open doors. So I, I wonder. Um, for me, there's a tension that exists, I think, in like being a Catholic organizer. Because um, as you were speaking, I was thinking all that you mentioned, like being open to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Like I, I bring that to my organizing. At least I hope I do. Like that's that's my thought. I'm I'm already in that prayerful mode. I pray. I I think about. I discern. I you know lexio to the all of that right because that's part of my Catholic spirituality and I think I don't know if others might identify with this but organizing for me is an expression and a manifestation of um, my own desire to be synodal if that makes sense so I don't know if you have any reactions to that because I felt in some ways you were saying they're very different but for me I feel like they're the same and I don't know if that's a me problem or just a thought 
I mean, that, that's important, and I think probably most people here would say exactly what you said. The problem is that necessarily um, people in parishes don't see the connection. Uh, we were talking last night about the, um, Nick, weren't we, about the ignorance of Catholic social teaching or just the, the, how you seldom even hear about CST and homilies and so on. And I think, I think that's, the, that's the issue. You know, people have yet to make that connection. Um, and that's why synodality is, is a real gift because, of course, people... All right, let's just take the listening, well, the um, welcoming the stranger, recognizing the stranger program. Uh, which I'm going to be in Texas with IAF finding out more about. I think I think it's wonderful. But actually, I can imagine in a parish, for example, there could be a very deep listening going on to the migrants in the parish about their own experiences. And then the others are just listening. And then from that, people go, wow, there's this, that's terrible. You know, what, what can we do about that, you know? Um, and... You know, that's when the organizer can help to say, well, <laughs> you know, you can translate. There is an action. A p action is possible. We don't just have to stay at, oh, well, it would be nice if the law changed or things were better. No, no, we can do something about it. Do you see? Thank you. Another thought that came to mind. You, you had mentioned this idea of that um, something that organizers can contribute um, to synodality and to the church in this current moment is helping to translate the results of synodality into concrete actions like you had just mentioned. And something that I've been hearing from, you know, a lot of these uh, synodal processes is that at least among the young people that I work with, they, you know, I know it's a long game. I know that change in the church takes a very long time, but for our young people, um, well, not even, maybe you'll all agree with this. It, it, it's taken a little long, you know, like, I mean, when, yeah, like I feel like maybe they were saying it was going to take long a while ago. It's still taking long. And there's kind of this sense of, okay, now you have heard what I said. It has now been synthesized. And this is what the young people will say to me. But do how do we know that they listened, right? Because a lot of the times we're seeing, right, and, and I think the climate here in the U.S. might be unique to that of the world. But it's like, okay, we, we'll read the document that came out that they said this, or we read the statement that Bishop so-and-so gave about this tragedy that happened, and, but then what? Like, where is the concrete action? So we see young people or just anyone who is passionate about others, <laughs> just kidding, but you know, um, you know, they want to do something, and then they get involved in organizing because they feel like this is moving something. This is creating a change, and it's often not inside the church, right, because in some ways, I'll speak for myself, I often feel powerless. I'll tell whoever what I think, I will tell them what my opinion is, I will give, you know, I'm a consultant to the USCCB, I'll give them ideas, and you know, if it sticks, it sticks, but at the end of the day, they're going to decide. And that's a tension for me, right? Because I feel like as an organizer, maybe we didn't win it that time, but I can go back around and think, okay, how do we win it the next time? Or what do we have to move? In the church, it's so... Not like that. <laughs> so. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. The church is so not like that. Um, uh, it's like my wife says to me, sometimes you're so nice and sometimes you're so not. <laughs> um, look, I think uh, that this, the whole focus on why doesn't the church change, uh, why does our bishop not get it, and so on, is a clerical way of looking at things. So here's my question, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge. What 
new thing is the Spirit giving birth to in our time, which you have glimpsed, which is calling you to an apostolic mission, which you are unable to carry out because of your priest who doesn't get it, your authoritarian bishop, your patriarchal clericalist, and so on, structures. Now, you may have an answer to that, and I'm sure, I'm sure Casey does. <laughs> but, my point is, but my point is that synodality is bringing to birth that new thing. And I don't see that it's going to be stopped. And if you look throughout church history, that's what's happened. You know, the, the question to uh, Sister Lydia last night, you know, why do you remain a nun in a church which... Well, because the church is, a, is, a, is an institution. It's a human structure, as well as being, of course, divinely established. But what makes it divinely established is its capacity for self-transcendence under the guidance of the Spirit. And we shouldn't be surprised that the church doesn't change. <laughs> Most institutions don't change. Uh, but there are these, this newness which is constantly being born. So to the young person who says, what do I do about this church? You say, look at the new thing that's being born do you want to be a part of it? And if you do, be, please be part of it. We need you there. And don't worry about the rest. That'll, yeah, in time, it'll all shift. Thank you, but not like super long, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can you tell Pope Francis? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you for that. I thought, you know, that, yeah, that was, that's something I think maybe a lot of us have, have been thinking about and, and trying to figure out. Um, something else I wanted to touch on, you know, you had shared that you were an organizer, um, for Well, you said you weren't a good one. I feel like we all maybe at some point feel like we're not good organizers. So I wonder if you could, you know, just to get to know you on that level, maybe share what was the question they didn't get to answer yesterday? What was the best highlight, proudest moment of your organizing time? Uh, so I began organizing because I used to work uh, for, for a time for the Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster in London. And an action was done on me by Citizens UK, which is an IAF affiliate. They came to me and said, I was the Cardinal's director for public affairs. And they said, there are all these migrant parishes in London with all kinds of problems. They're looking to the Cardinal. Why don't you celebrate a mass for migrants? If you do, we will guarantee the turnout. We will fill Westminster Cathedral. So I thought, okay. Uh, the, car the cardinal was persuaded. And even better, the cardinal allowed me to help him craft a homily inspired by U.S. churches' citizenship campaigns, regularization campaigns. And so the cardinal very gently and gingerly called for the long-term regularization of undocumented migrants. Beautiful mass. Everybody went wild, including the media. <laughs> and anyway... Two years later, I was leading a campaign called Strangers into Citizens on behalf of London citizens, and we filled Trafalgar Square, and we had all the church leaders, and we had people making that same call. That was my proudest moment. But I was, I was a good campaigner. I wasn't a very good organizer. The, ca the campaign, which was called Strangers into Citizens, although really, because we're a monarchy, it should have been called Strangers into Subjects. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't have quite the same emancipatory feel about it. <laughs> but anyway, that was my proudest moment. But after, the campaign had some successes, but it kind of ran out of money, and then I switched to being an organizer, and, and um, you know, that was, that was much tougher. So there we are. That's my, I, I think for about two or three years, but it left me with a great love of the organizing tradition, and uh, which I'm very grateful here to, to renew. 
Thank you for sharing that. I didn't think I'd ever heard the words people went wild. And when you're talking about a mass that or a, a service, that's I wonder if that's on a webinar somewhere. <laughs> But yeah, I think we're we're about to wrap up and we're closing out. I'm wondering if you have any kind of final things that are giving you great hope, particularly from what you've been experiencing at this conference, maybe conversations you've had, or was the food just so transcendental? I don't know. What what do you uh, what is on your mind and your heart um, as a point of hope for us as we carry on our day? This might surprise you, but this this is just what I what I want to share. Um, in 2021, I was asked by Cardinal Journey in the Vatican if I could be part of the conversation which led to the address to the popular movements in October 2021, which, by the way, was the same moment of the launch of the Synod connections. Um, and I said to Cardinal Journey, I would, but I'm very critical <laughs> of how the Pope has how it's been arranged, organized. And he was very interested, and I wrote him a paper. And the paper basically said, what happens in these addresses is that the Pope addresses people who look like they're basically from Argentina or from Latin America. They speak. He then gives an amazing speech and address, and then nothing happens. I said, this is populism. This is what the Pope criticizes. <laughs> because there's no action, there's no growth, there's no... Huh? Anyway, he, he liked this very much, and I was originally part of that group, but it didn't get anywhere. The power in the room was with the group in Argentina. Uh, but it did leave me with the feeling, and this meeting here has reawakened it, that the next address that the Pope makes, uh, I mean, you were part of the 21 thing, and, I, and, I, and I, we were speaking about it earlier. It was a great thing, but it just it, it didn't go anywhere. It just ended with him. But I think... It should be seen much more as an action so that the people who speak should be from Europe, United States, Latin America, elsewhere. The Pope responds and then we have responses to the Pope from world leaders and business leaders. And I think if that could be done, I just have this vision of the Pope as this, you know, bringing together in an extraordinary way all these different organizing movements from across the world. Who else but he could do this at this time and secure important relationships and concessions from significant world leaders? So I want to leave you with that thought. If you like the idea, I may be able to, you know, suggest this somehow next year uh, and I'd be very interested to know your thoughts. Thank you very much for this and thank you, Cecilia, for a lovely introduction. Thank you, thank you so much, everybody. The Inner Community Peace and Justice Center is sponsored by 24 Catholic religious congregations. Grounded in the charisms of our sponsoring congregations and Catholic social teaching, we build community to act for systemic change in our church and world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Any notes or references from the interview can be found on our website at ipjc.org slash justice rising. You can follow IPJC's work on Instagram at IPJC Seattle. If you like this episode, please consider donating to support our work at IPJC.org, as well as hitting the subscribe button to follow along wherever you get your podcasts.